What's up, everybody? So we, in three of the songs that we just sang, we used the word hallelujah. It's a really important word in our faith, but just in case you don't know, I want to explain it to you real quick. So it's, it means praise be to God, but not just any God. Okay, toward the beginning of Exodus, God appeared in a burning bush to Moses, right? And so Moses, he's like, hey, okay, you want me to go say this stuff to your people, but like, who do I tell them sent me? And God revealed his name, which is Yahweh. Okay, our God has a name. And his name is Yahweh. So whenever we sing hallelujah, it's praise be to God. But again, not just some clockmaker in the sky who we really can't know personally, but we, can, but we know his name, we know who he is, and he wants to know us in a really personal way. Isn't that good? So I hope, uh, hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, it looks like Grandma hooked it up this year. A lot of, a lot of you wearing new clothes today. Y'all look good. So, so, you know, the Sunday after Christmas, that's when you wear your new clothes, right? So you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 and 2 today, loaded passage that we're going to work through, uh, you know, word by word. And it's a pretty famous passage. You probably are familiar with it. So go ahead and turn there, scroll there. We'll get going in just a second. And so in it, we, we, we see that it can be really good to remember or consider some things that have happened in the past, right? And so I got to think, you know, this is the last sermon you'll hear this decade. Okay, we start a new decade on Wednesday, okay? Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. That's right. So... I wonder what are some things that we've forgotten this decade. So I got to thinking about that. So, I, you know, maybe you forgot, maybe I forgot that Netflix crushed Blockbuster this decade. Remember when we used to go to the store all the way back in 2013 and we would actually rent a, a physical DVD? I, I actually kind of missed that, the nostalgia of that. If there was a store, if anybody wants to start a video store in town, I, I would go pretty much every week, okay? But we used to, you know, that happened this decade. Maybe you forgot, a lot of us, you know, we watched the college football playoff yesterday. Maybe you forgot that Mississippi State was the very first team voted as number one by the college football playoff committee. Just me. All right. Y'all can't forget that. Okay, that's all we have. All right. I'm hanging on to it. Maybe you forgot this dress that captivated a nation. Okay. Some of you, when you see this, you see a blue and black dress. Some of you, when you see this, you see white and gold. I see blue and black. E-Man, you know, one of our worship pastors, he's adamant that it's white and gold, not blue and black. So I don't know what you see, but that happened this decade too. It took the world by storm. Okay. So... Let's jump into the text and read Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, verse 1 begins with, you know, so verse 1 begins with therefore, and it's a good biblical practice, as hokey as it is, you've heard a lot of preachers say this, you've got to see what the therefore is, great, great crowd participation, you've got to see what the therefore is therefore, it's a good biblical thing as you're reading the scripture, so what, what, is, the, what is the writer tying Hebrews 12 to? In Hebrews 11, it's a really famous passage as well. It's known as the Hall of Faith, okay? So the writer of Hebrews goes kind of throughout different uh, people throughout our history and just says, you know, Moses did this, and, you know, by faith, Abraham did this. And so what does it mean that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? Like, what is the significance of being surrounded by Enoch and Moses and Sarah and Barak and Samson, all these different people, right? So it means a lot of things we'll talk about. First, you know, we, we stand on their shoulders, right? We are their spiritual heritage. And it's good to remember their stories. It's good to be reminded and to consider their failures, their faith, the way they finished, all these things. 
And, you know, so if, you know, as we begin today, if you could tell me more about Justin Bieber's life than Samson's, like we can start to probably diagnose some issues in your spiritual life. So, so from this cloud of witnesses, okay, we get the picture of an amphitheater, right? And so with rising rows of glad previous victors cheering us on as we run the race today, right? So, you know, picture it. In the crowd sit Abraham and Moses and, and Noah and David and Sarah and so many others mentioned and not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, these champions of old give us examples of, of faith, of, of struggles, of how to fail and turn your eyes away from God, then to turn your eyes back to God, of how to finish well, of how to endure, and all these different things. And you know what I love most about Hebrews chapter 11, though? It's, as you read the names, it's such messed up people. Right, and so you know, consider Samson. Man, he messed up. He had the favor of God, the hand of God on him, and he took his eyes off of the Messiah and put his eyes on a woman, on a female. Right, but you know what? That wasn't the end of the story. Moses, he like I said earlier, he didn't think that he was worthy to lead. He said, "God, God said, hey, I'm going to use you." And Moses said, "I can't do that. God, I stutter." But that wasn't the end of the story. Right, David messed up maybe more than anybody else in Hebrews chapter 11. He became enamored with his power, and he took advantage of that power and slept with a woman who was not his wife, but his story wasn't done right there. 90-year-old Sarah, 90-year-old Sarah was told, hey, you're about to have your first child, and she got a good faithless laugh out of it. But that wasn't the end of the story either, right? Noah got drunk, Gideon asked for a sign, Abraham lied, but God wasn't done yet. And we see our stories in their story, you may be down. Man, you may have had a really tough 2019. You may have had a whole, may have had a tough decade, right? Or maybe you, you chase really hard after your favorite sin, but God is still writing your story. Will you respond in faith? Will you step toward God in faith? Will you, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, discipline yourself to run with endurance? It's good to remember where we came from, all right? And, you know, I've been a Christian for quite a while now. But I'll never forget what God did in my life, man. I mean, I was a mess. Y'all didn't know BC, Matt, okay? I was a mess. I was fake. Man, I was rebellious. The word that would really describe me was rebellious. But here's the good news, man. I know a God who has a soft spot for rebels, right? Who, who welcomes in and recruits the adulterer David, the whiner Jeremiah, the traitor Peter, the human rights abuser Saul of Tarsus, right? I know a God whose son makes prodigals the trophies of his ministry. And so that God wants a personal relationship with you today. So whether you're outside the faith and you're kind of seeing who this God really is, he wants the relationship, no matter your past, man. There's, there's people in, your, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, with a worse story than you. I promise you. So God wants you in his family if you're outside the faith. If you're kind of estranged from God, he wants you to be closer with him. If you're closer to him, he wants you to be even closer. That's who our God is. He wants us to know him in a personal way. So first we see today that we need to look back. Okay, it's a good thing to remember and consider this great cloud of witnesses to help form our identities as Christ followers by looking at how, you know, men and women hoped in the Messiah. So, and parents, a quick side note, you absolutely must help your children understand that this is where we come from. To, to, to tie their identity. So as you're reading like through Exodus, if you're reading at home with your kids and you're reading the story and you need to say things like, these are our people. This is our story. And help your kids form a Christian identity by tying their personhood to the stories of the Bible. It's really important. Obviously primarily to Jesus, but you know, there's a bigger story than that. Wider story. So you know, you know, modern American Christians, if we can just be honest, we really don't value church history 
and, you know, our spiritual forerunners like we really ought to. We just really don't. Like, ancient history to us is like 50 years ago for Americans, right? And so, in the classic Peanuts comic strip, Sally carefully labels her church, her, her paper, church history, right? And in the comic, uh, Charlie Brown's kind of looking over his shoulder, and he sees that she write, Sally wrote, uh, When writing about church history, we have to go back to the very beginning. Our pastor was born in 1930. Right? And so it's cute, it's funny, but there's quite a bit of church history before Biltmore came onto the scene. Right Now we've had a good run, we're having a good run, but a lot happened, good things that happened before we came onto the scene. Right? And so it's, it's just good to consider those people, men and women who went before us. Right? You know, names that you need to know, Justin Martyr, Athanasius, Lottie Moon, all these people in our history, that it's, it's encouraging to look at what God did. And so we can look to the ones who have gone before us and see... They finished the race, and they struggled, and they lost loved ones, and they sinned, and they finished with God, right? And importantly, what's inspiring about these men and women is not, you know, how great they are, really. Um, often, more, more often than not, they're really not that, you know, there's not some special thing about them, super talented or whatever. They just made their lives available to God. So what's encouraging about them is Jesus in them and behind them and through them as he did work throughout history. So in the context of... Remembering those who have gone before us, you know, in view of the amphitheater of brothers and sisters cheering us on, verse 1 continues, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We are to actively lay aside every weight and sin in our lives. So now it's interesting, the writer of Hebrews distinguishes laying aside weight from laying aside sin. Do you see that in the text? So we'll get into your sin in, the, in a moment. I'm coming for your sin, Okay. But there are things in our lives that are not necessarily sinful, but are adding weight to our run, weight to our journey with Christ. So, you know, I'm not a runner. Uh, it come as a shock to you this morning. Uh, but I'm not a marathon guy, all right? Um, to be honest, I don't really get it. You just go run for a while, not chasing a ball or anything. You just go forest gump it for a few hours. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get the appeal. Our beloved Kelvin Mosley says, I'll start running when I see someone, see someone smiling while they run. Now, that, make, that makes a lot of sense to me, okay? So, but think of running gear, okay? All running gear today is designed to be what? Lightweight. That's right. Good front row. Thank you. Lightweight. You know, the shoes are light. The shorts are short. From what I understand, the shirt's wick. And that helps, evidently, okay? And serious runners know that every ounce matters, right? Every ounce matters, when you're running 26.2 miles. And it's the same thing spiritually. Like, having an Instagram account is not a sin, right? But is your Instagram account adding extra weight to your race? Is, net, is Netflix weighing you down as you try to run for Christ? You know, we, we have so many ways to pass the time, we'll say. Words with friends, angry birds, uh, the next great show that a friend or Netflix recommended to you. Uh, not to mention scrolling through social media to keep up with people who we don't know and rarely see, right? Uh, but shouldn't the phrase, just think about the phrase, pass the time, shouldn't that at least throw up a tiny red flag in our minds? Because time is our most valuable and fleeting resource. Screens make it possible, though, to cram in every idle moment with distraction. So as we consider weights in our lives and our spiritual run, how can you reconsider how you use your discretionary minutes every single day. Is there an app that you need to delete? Is there a subscription, a digital subscription that you need to not renew, right? Is there a device that you need to limit your minutes on throughout the day or throughout the week or throughout the month, right? The Netflix CEO said his, that the main competitor for Netflix is sleep, okay? 
So when I ask, is Netflix weighing you down, right, maybe you, maybe, okay, maybe you stay up too late, you know, watching YouTube or whatever you do, maybe you stay up too late consuming more media, and maybe you don't get up most days early to read the Bible, and maybe those two facts are connected. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. So what is a weight that is hindering you from running this race with endurance? Lay it aside, whatever it is. And, you know, anybody can sprint across the room, right? But it takes a lot of discipline to run a marathon. So if you were to tell me, you know, I'll give you a million dollars if you can go outside right now and run a mile in eight minutes. And we all went outside. Y'all lined the soccer fields. We marked out how long, you know, how many laps it is. And, and I take off. You guys are all cheering, hoping the best for me. I, you know, I do my best. Right? I would lay it all in the field. I would leave it out there. Okay, but it's, it's pretty, I don't think I could run an, a mile in eight minutes today. But if you were to say, all right, one year from now, if you can run a mile in eight minutes, I'm going to give you a million dollars. I'd be taking your money, okay? Why? Man, I'd be laying aside weight. I'd be eating right. I might even wear some of those short shorts. For a million bucks, man, I would shave off minutes however I could, right? So maybe. So, so what's the difference? What's the difference in a mile now in eight minutes versus a year from now? Well, obviously, discipline and training. Discipline and training. Self-discipline and training. So, you know, the most common way for us in this room to reject Jesus is not with some defiant curse, but more with like a disinterested shrug. I don't feel like reading today. I don't really want to pray this week. Eh, it's fine. You know. First Timothy says to train yourself for godliness. So, you know, what if the greatest threat to American Christianity isn't socialism or liberal justices, but you know, a weight so seemingly innocent like kids' sports leagues and kids' travel sports leagues on the weekends that take us away from church and all these different things. So what is it in your life? Secondly, today, as we talk through these things, we need to look in and really be honest about where we are spiritually. It's a good thing to really evaluate where you are spiritually. So, uh, so many of us are willing to sprint spiritually a few times a year, but very few of us are willing to train daily for, to run this race with endurance. Like students, okay, so, you know, weight weekend is awesome. Camp is awesome. Don't neglect those. Keep going to those. They are unbelievable, awesome things to get to know God. But you need daily and weekly rhythms in your life, disciplines in your life to really sustain spiritual growth. One weekend and one camp a year just really isn't enough. So I want us to take an, a spiritual inventory right now of 2019. You can, I mean, you don't have to raise your hands and post it on Instagram or anything, right? But not to make ourselves feel bad. And we're not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven here, okay? Jesus has already finished the work. But now it's up to us to be disciplined and to train for godliness. So, you know, and let's get on the solution side now as we head toward 2020, new, new year, new decade. So how's your time in the Word been this year? Um, did you read every day, most days, some days? Um, how, how, did that, how did that go? Did you really engage in the text and really think through, uh, you know, what God was saying and how it applies to your life? Uh, write out, you know, thoughts and questions. How'd that go this year? What about your prayer life this year? Um, you know, did you stop and pray every day, most days, increasing in an increasing manner? Are you leaning on God more? I want you to think through. Are you leaning on God more now in prayer than you did at the end of 2018? Are you leaning on God in prayer more now than at the end of 2009, a decade ago, right? How often did you, did you attend worship in small group? You know, uh, more and more, the trend in American Christians is to go to church about once a month. Right, so let's not be part of that trend here, right? You, you, you can't go to the gym once a month and have a six-pack of abs, 
You can't run once a month and be ready for a marathon. And so how did that look for you this year? And did you really engage in church and small group when you were here or there, right? And there's something so encouraging about worshiping together. I was even thinking this morning, you know, I look back and I see my friend Chaz worshiping. And I know what he's going because, you know, we're, we go to church together. I know what he's going through. So to see him worshiping, it's, it's encouraging to me. I know what you're going through. So to see you worshiping is encouraging. So there's a lot going on with, uh, with when we come to worship. And also, the world does its best to beat us up, right, to weigh us down and to, to this daily wounding experience life can be sometimes. And then we come in here and we go, hallelujah. Jesus reigns. My boss doesn't reign, okay? My family doesn't. Jesus reigns, right? And there's something encouraging about that that keeps us going, gives us endurance in the race. Uh, how often did you share the gospel with a non-believing person this year? You know, how did it go? What was the result? David Platt says that the only thing worse than being lost is nobody looking for you, right? So how often did you share? How many times did you share uh, the gospel with a non-believing person this year? And then the essential but often forgotten discipleship question Am I more loving now than earlier on my journey? Am I more loving now than I was at this time last year? You know, spiritual warfare looks a lot less like a horror movie and a lot more like uh, the dull apathy of not reading your Bible. So if you're too busy to come to church most weeks, there is a weight that you need to lay aside. If you're too busy to read your Bible most days, there's some weight that you need to lay aside. If you're you know, if you don't stop and have time in concentrated prayer every day, there's some weight somewhere in your life that, that we can lay aside, right? So even Socrates said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And so many of us are caught up in that. Uh, verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12 says this, My son, do not regard lightly, don't take it lightly, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected or made better, by him. Don't get weary of that. As you run on the journey, you're like, man, I'm tired of, I'm tired of being, I'm tired of, man, keep, don't be weary of God reproving you, as he might do through this text today. That term discipline is talking about a system of training that God set up to communicate, uh, you know, instruction to his children, us, who really need to learn from God, right? Discipline is not only God, like, you know, getting on to us, although it does include that. I mean, as a good father, consequences are sometimes involved, okay? But it's really more the idea of, like, how I instill disciplines in my kids, right? So, uh, for instance, like my middle son, Cole, he's six. Um, awesome kid, man. He's, like, the best kid in the world. So sweet, so kind. Love being his dad. Uh, but it doesn't come naturally to him to get a shower every day. He's not naturally inclined to, when we have family dinner, to sit at the table and sit still and talk, right? He'll sit do all this stuff. So every, so I lovingly shepherd him into those disciplines. Hey, buddy, go and sit back down. If you need me to get you something, I'll do it. No, go and, hey, buddy, come on, sit right back here. You know, but he's got the wiggles, right? Or, hey, no, yep, taking a shower again today, buddy. Sorry, I'm so, yeah, taking a shower again today. So, and it may seem small, right? As small as they might seem, those disciplines build upon each other to prepare him for life. So God instills spiritual disciplines into us for our benefit and for his glory. John Stott put it this way. Always invariable, Always invariably, we reap what we sow. Therefore, because of this faithfulness of God, we can determine in advance what we shall reap by deciding what we shall sow. If I were a farmer wanting to harvest a crop of oats, I would have to sow oats. It would be ludicrous to sow barley or wheat instead if I want oats. Right? The same principle applies to human behavior. If the Holy Spirit is to produce good fruit in our lives, then we have to sow good seed and still good disciplines. The old proverb puts it well. This is on the screens. Sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. 
So a habit and you reap a character. So a character and you reap a destiny. And so if you want to run this race with endurance, you need to actively sow spiritual disciplines that will allow you to reap godliness so that you will reap the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Galatians chapter 5. You know, the spiritual disciplines have a cumulative effect on you, right? Just like so many of us are going to start working out in January, like 2020, this is the year, I'm going to be in such good shape. And then we work out so hard in January, and February 1, we're like so upset that we don't have a chiseled body yet, so we just quit, right? So, you know, endur- training for endurance takes time. And now is the perfect time. One of the reasons we wanted to share this message today, now is the perfect time to get ready for 2020 with your spiritual disciplines and setting goals and all those sorts of things. And pastors, we love talking about this stuff. Okay, so any of us would love to meet you in the lobby or you email us, we'll grab a cup of coffee with you and just kind of personalize any of this as you want. Also, your connect group teachers love talking about this kind of thing. You can set a meeting with them or talk to them and figure out how this can really look in your life. Uh, the New American Standard Bible translate the fra- translates the phrase there in verse 1 as, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Right, so we don't really use that word much, but it's a helpful idea. So what's encumbering you from running this race with endurance? Think about the simplicity of Jesus' life. Right? My man didn't have an address. He just taught the word, shared the gospel, healed people, and made disciples. That's what he did. We went to the beach with some friends last summer. And so, you know, every day you walk out, you're in the house, and you walk out to the beach through the sand. And so day one, man, we walked out to the beach, arms full of stuff. I mean, we got every toy you can imagine. We got bags of sunscreen, you know, your boy fair skin. Okay, and so we got umbrellas and chairs, and we're all just like this, kids included, going out to the beach. And they're complaining. There's a chance that I complained. Okay, so by day two, what do we do? We start calling that thing back, right? So, and by the end of the week, when we go out to the beach, we got an umbrella. That's all we got, okay? And so kids go play in the sand and water. I'm going to sit in the sand, and that's all we're going to carry out here, right? So we held on to less stuff as the journey went on, and the journey made, you know, became more manageable. So just to, just to drive the illustration home, how are you going to run this race with endurance if you have those ankle weights on? So what does it look like in your life to drop the weight? The writer of Hebrews uh, finishes his thought and says we need to lay aside sin which clings so closely. Isn't that a great way to describe sin in our lives? So where weight holds you down, sin trips you up. Okay. So again, we're at the end of a year, end of a decade. Uh, are you still giving into what you gave into in 2018? Are you still giving into what you gave into in 2009, last decade? What measures have you taken or can you take to ruthlessly eliminate that sin from your life? We need to take our sin seriously. John Owen said, uh, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Our God demands and commands that for us to be holy as he is holy. Such a high bar. So that sin that you're entertaining or just kind of laying, you know, letting stay within arm's distance, it, it's a killer. We need to get serious about it. Or Tim Keller eloquently puts it this way, you can't just have one Dorito. Okay, you're going to eat the whole bag of Doritos, so if there's a sin that clings so closely to you, you have to persistently root it out of your life. Don't let the devil have a room in your house. Kick him out, okay? So many of us misunderstand this teaching in the scriptures, right? You know, we, we, we think that maybe God is trying to rip us off by not letting us have fun like the world, but he's trying to set us free. The worst thing that you could do is to go through life running from God, thinking he's chasing you to collect what you owe, when really he's chasing you to give you something you can never afford. Lay that sin aside, man. Kill that sin in your life. If you need, you know, if you find yourself, we see this in the ministry, if you find yourself confessing the same sin over and over and struggling with the same sin for a long, long, long period of time, 
you got to get you know, more serious in the way that you combat that sin in your life. If you keep struggling with spending 110% of what you make every month without giving anything to the church and to people in need, you know, th- let's take more serious actions. If you keep looking at that stuff on your computer or phone or whatever, let's get more serious. Man, throw the phone away. We-, we live for thousands of years without these phones in our pocket, right? So get more serious about you know, your sin. Is there something? A device, a credit card, a relationship that easily besets and entangles you. Lay it aside, okay? Um, you know, you can't just ignore sin and expect it, you know, expect not to fall. So when it comes to confronting uh, sin, it's first and primarily a personal deal. It starts in your own heart. Uh, but repentance and change are only sustainable if you confess and seek help in community. Right. So we had a, a tree cut down a little while ago, and it's just the worst. You know, it's one of those adult purchases like buying tires, like... You spend all this money, and the car looks the same after your stereo is still broken. You, get no, you know, so anyway, but you got to do it. You got to cut down the tree. So the guy came, and so in our neighborhood, in my backyard specifically, there's, you know, there's like a, a tree line, right? So from 20 years ago, whenever they cleared the land to build the houses and have people's backyards and stuff, and so there's that tree line. So the guy said, you know, he came and said, yeah, we need to cut it down or it's going to fall in your house. I go, okay. He said, and I quote, when they cleared this land 20 years ago, the trees outside here in the cleared land lost their friends. He said, these trees all have roots that are interconnected, and I'll never forget what he said next. He said, it took 20 years, but eventually it was always going to fall. Right, y'all, that's the Christian life. I mean, if you are disconnected from deep friendships in the local church, it may take 20 years, but a fall is looming. It's on the horizon. Too often, we're connected globally. We know what's going on all over the world, but we're disconnected locally, man. Invest your life in this local body of believers. We need you, and you need us. And realize, you know, we're all at different parts of the journey, different parts of the marathon in here. So some of y'all might be on mile one. Some of y'all might be on mile 17, all across the spectrum, right? And so with my kids, you know, my, my one-year-old is just as much my child as my seven-year-old, right? Now, my seven-year-old is way ahead in patience compared to my one-year-old, right? But they're, they're equally mine, So just because someone else in the room or your connect group or whatever may be ahead of you in the race doesn't make you less than in God's kingdom. Run your race. Keep going. Keep pursuing the disciplines, right? Fleeing from sin comes down really to living by faith. You know, so much of life really comes down to trusting God. Just simply, it really does. John Tyson recently said, how you live is what you believe. Everything else is just talk, he said. So, okay, how? Right, okay. I get it, you've driven the point home, I need to, I understand I need to lay aside some weight, some distractions, some unnecessary things in my life, okay, I understand, I need to flee from the sin that so, that clings so closely, but then how do I run this Christian life with endurance, what does that really look like, so look back at our text, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, if you mark things in your scriptures and underline that, looking to Jesus, so the essential piece of running this race is staying focused on Jesus. So finally today, we need to look to Jesus. That's what, we need, that's what we have to continue to do. So as we run the race, we don't look to our 401k for protection. You know, we don't look to our spouse to complete us. We don't look to Instagram for, to make us happy with likes and followers. It's never going to work. We look to Jesus. We are his people. So I read an article from a major news site entitled, 20 Ways for Getting Happy in 2020. Okay. Their ideas included, and this is real, have a glass of water, take vacations, seek retail therapy right away, go to bed early, 
send out positive vibes, and make a dentist appointment, okay? And I love a good dentist appointment as much as the next person, okay? But I don't think that's really going to do the trick for me in 2020. You want to know the secret to life? You want to understand how to truly be happy? Lay aside every weight, flee from sin, and look to Jesus. That's it. Uh, Anything else you look to as you run this race of life will leave you exhausted. That's how God designed the world to work. That as you, you know, if you look anywhere else in the world besides him for happiness, your soul ends up being so exhausted. But as we focus on him, as we look to him, you become and remain content no matter what, no matter the circumstances of your life. But if you look to the stuff of the world, you're going to remain empty, worn out, weighed down. That's how God designed the world to work. So the rest of the sermon, honestly, is just going to become impossible religious activity um, apart from this crucial part of looking to Jesus. Okay, so... Um, you know, Jesus founded, perfected, and ran this race because you and I could not. We couldn't do it. Jesus did it for us. You know, we spend too little time thinking about God, really contemplating, really focusing on God. A.W. Tozer put it this way a long time ago. He said, few of us have let our hearts gaze and wonder at the I am. We prefer to think about how to build a better mousetrap, or how to make two blades of grass grow where one grew before. And for this, we are now paying a too heavy price in the decay of our inner lives. And how much more true that is today than when he wrote it. Our modern world does a really great job to keep us from really gazing at our creator, to keep us from really thinking about Jesus and contemplating on his goodness throughout our days. Right? You know, Netflix, air conditioning, Alexa, Spotify, Twitter... And on and on it could go. They're all literally designed to create a world where we don't have a second to contemplate. You know, your attention, my attention, is at the very center of the digital marketplace. Okay? There are companies in Silicon Valley full of brilliant engineers trying to figure out how to get five more minutes of your attention today. You know, so when Facebook, YouTube, all these different things autoplay the next video, that's not them doing you a favor. Okay, they need you to keep watching, okay? And we all wonder why we're so anxious. So you have to discipline your mind, your eyes, your heart to look to Jesus. And this is not going to happen naturally. So again, how do I look to Jesus? What does that look like? The disciplines that we talked about earlier are really the the essential thing. So it starts with, in my opinion, my mind, a, a daily quiet time with the Lord. I think it works best in the morning, but I don't, you know, I don't know your schedules or where you, know, where you have your best energy, but I try to give my best energy and focus to my quiet time. So it's breaking out the word of God, and I'll read through. I've shared with you before how I do my quiet time, so I won't belabor the point now, but I read through books of the Bible at a time. So maybe I'll read a chapter, two or three, depends on where I am. In Exodus, I may read three chapters in a day. If I'm in Romans, I may read half a chapter. It just depends. And so I'll underline stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll write out prayers as I am convicted about what the text is saying, and I just try to let God speak. That's his, this is his word. This is the primary way that God speaks today is through the Bible as we read it and hear it, okay? And, man, too, 200 years ago, nobody could read, you know? And now here we all have our own copy of the Scriptures we can read, and it's right here that this wealth is right in front of us of God speaking to us. And so every morning... You know, get into a new discipline maybe for you or a deeper discipline of reading the word, writing out thoughts. I use the ESV scripture journal. We gave out, whenever we were going through Colossians, we gave you one. I love those. There's one for every book of the Bible. Those really help me out. Whatever that looks like for you. Um, You know, daily quiet time needs to include prayer. So I've told you this before too. I had a seminary professor. I said, man, okay, just give me a law. Like, how much should I pray every day? And he said, more. 
right? And so whatever that looks like for you, if you're, if you're praying a minute a week, man, let's, let's shoot for five minutes next week and then 10 minutes uh, in, in the next month and a, a week and a day and grow and grow and grow in your intimacy with the Lord. That can always happen. And so, again, I think it's best if you set aside real time to pray to the Lord, but also throughout the day, different things. I've told you before, too, I try to get out of the bed in such a way to where the first thing I do in the morning, I land on my knees and I give God my day. Maybe you can set a, a time on your watch, your phone. It's 1.30, I'm going to go for a 10-minute walk and I'm going to pray. Whatever it is, just instill rhythms in your day where you're praying with the Lord, right? with your week. with your. So, you know, and then I've already talked about, but worship every single week, most weeks, and small group, you know, that's just huge weekly disciplines. So w- when I think about my disciplines with the Lord, I think about it in terms of daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly disciplines, right? And so... Uh, I've told you about the daily and weekly ones. One of our yearly rhythms, uh, yearly disciplines is, you know, we run at a pretty, uh, at a pretty fast pace here, right? Like, and I have a high motor, and so I'm going, right? You can probably, probably tell that. So it's about once a year, we'll take about nine days off in a row, okay, me and my wife and my, and my kids, because not even necessarily even being anywhere, but just off, because I just noticed on vacations and stuff, like about the fourth day, I really slow down. Okay, I finally get done in the, in the first year, about the fourth or fifth day. So then we'll stay or, you know, away for about nine days, at least once a year, always just once a year. That way that by that fourth or fifth day, I'm really down in first gear. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, man, look at that sunset. God, you're so good. And I'm really enjoying my quiet time even more. And it just slows my soul down in a way that's good for me. Right? So I don't know what that looks like for you, again, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Maybe that's something you could talk about as a family or with your roommates or whatever, but it's, it's, uh, it's helped us a lot. So when we proved hopeless as mankind, you know, Jesus became one of us. The king of kings took on human flesh. We just celebrated at Christmas. When we couldn't run our way to God, Jesus ran to us. When we needed healing, Jesus healed us. When we sinned against him, he died on the cross for our sins. And that's why we, the weary and heavy laden, right, can come to Jesus today and find rest. That's why we can look to him daily and run with endurance because uh, he is great and he is good. So we look away from the distractions and the sins of the world and we look to Jesus throughout our days. You know, Christ is always near and in sight, right? There's this great song by Hillsong called Highlands and it says, Oh, how high would I climb mountains if the mountains were where you hide? If uh, oh, how far I would scale the valleys if you grace the other sky. I would search and stop at nothing. You're just not that hard to find. And that's really God in our lives. He's never out of sight. He's never hiding from us. He's close. 